Welcome to Act Pod, a podcast show that sheds light on the stories and impact of the social sector. The show is proudly powered by Aspire Coronation Trust Foundation. Let's begin the change. Hello there. It's another exciting episode of our podcast show, Act Pod. Our story, our continent. On the show today, I'm going to be having a conversation with someone that I would call a change maker. Yeah, because she is a change maker in the space. Uh, she is a development practitioner, an obstetrician and gynecologist, and she is a social entrepreneur. Uh, welcome with me, Dr. Abosede Lewu. Thank you so much, Abiyodo. <laughs> it's so good to have you around. Same here. It's good okay. to have you here. Too. All right. So... So usually how we start is mm-hmm. we want to get to know about you. Mm-hmm. Um, so who is Abosa Delewu and how did you get into the social sector space? Okay, so thank you very much for having me. Um, well, I am, um, let me start from the beginning. Okay. <laughs> so I am hey. a daughter, I'm the second child of five, I'm also married, uh, have three children. And then, like you said, I'm a medical doctor and I am a development practitioner. Basically, that's who I am. I, I see myself as an innovator. And um, beyond being a change maker, I also think I have a part to play in making my community better. Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Abosede. So, I know that you're the founder of Girls Aid Initiative. Would you like to please tell us why do we need a Girls Aid Initiative in our world? What actually led to the founding of Girls Aid Initiative? Oh, thank you, Abiyodi. It's a lot of things, but I can critically remember the single incidents that made me sort of know that there was a need for girls' aid. So as a, I was a junior registrar. I was in residency training then for my obstetrics and gynecology specialization. Um, there was a trend that I was always seeing. So we had young girls coming into the hospital with sexual and reproductive health problems. So mm. come sexually transmitted infections, unintended pregnancies, unsafe abortions, mm. and all that. So it, it was so common that, or it is still common that, when you come for your night calls, you actually prepare for those kind of incidences to occur. So there was a particular case that really, really kind of didn't let me go. That's what I'll say. So we had like two young girls coming with their older sister who was literally unconscious, and they were really all young. And we asked what the problem was. They said, oh, their sister came from the university. She was schooling in the eastern part of the country. And she came to see her boyfriend. To, to, to cut a long story short, she had already, she was pregnant. And her boyfriend was not ready for the pregnancy. I think she was 18 or 19. So she had an unsafe abortion. And suddenly she suddenly couldn't just get better. So mm-hmm. the sisters actually rushed her to the hospital. They didn't have money. They didn't have anything. But they just knew she had to go to the hospital. I could remember that we started resuscitating this young girl. And then we, we kept asking these girls that, what about your parents? And then they were looking at us. We can't tell our parents. We, we can't talk to our parents about this. And I remember when we were willing her to the theater, she actually died at the elevator. Oh, no. And it was so traumatic because they were really, really young. And then the two sisters, they were stunned. They kept looking like, it, it was almost like they didn't understand the gravity of what happened between those three sisters that day. But what was most powerful for me was that even after their sister died, their comments were still the same. We can't tell our parents. We, we can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Then we had to start asking, so who do we call for you? You are all young teenagers. And they were younger sisters, not older sisters, by the way. And then, of course, we had to find a way to navigate that. But after that incident happened, alongside with other cases I had seen, I just had this unrest. 
about this situation that we can't not have these conversations with our girls. We cannot create platforms where young girls can talk about their needs, their challenges with their parents. So girls is sort of started from there. And we started having programs with fathers and mothers that had adolescent daughters to sort of have these conversations around sexual and reproductive health, drug abuse, going to university, career. So it sort of expanded. But beyond what that girl said was, was the cardinal change that happened for me was that as a medical doctor, you're trained to treat, to manage. But it sort of took me to be like someone that wanted to prevent. So I kind of started looking at most of the cases. So if I'm working in the hospital, I see a lot of cervical cancer. I'm like, okay, I'm not comfortable waiting to treat these women. What can I do in the community to prevent cervical cancer? If I'm seeing a lot of women dying from hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, I'm like, what can I do at the community level to stop this influx? So that sort of mind shift that happened to me then was like the foundation of girls. And that's how we've always functioned. So we don't want to respond to problems. We want to anticipate them and then provide solutions at the very beginning to nip them at the board. Hmm. Yes. Okay. Talk about the change maker that you are. <laughs> That's why we're featuring you on the change maker series <laughs> anyway. So and I think that um, what you're doing is is totally awesome because you look at our country um, from as for as long as I know, we know that maternal mortality, infant mortality has always been on the high. Uh, although it's reducing, but then they're still unnecessarily high. And people mm-hmm. die from needless, you know, issues, you know. You hear about pregnancies, abortion, uh, even malaria issues, killing unnecessarily. I'd like to ask, uh, what is Girls Aid Initiative doing to actually address these issues? Because I'm particularly interested in it because they are, they are, you, you work with girls mm-hmm. and women who are already disadvantaged in our side of the mm-hmm. world. Yes. So what is it that Girls Initiative is doing with these girls and women uh, in, your, in, your, in your initiative? Uh, so I, I need to give credit to my team that over the last six to seven years, our range of interventions have in, increased. So we work, like I said, mostly with girls and women, or especially those from low-income community or hard-to-reach community. So one of our projects, like we've talked about the one we do for parents with adolescent daughters, we do programs around um, girls in secondary school, where mm. we do a lot of sexual and reproductive health awareness, career path, and all that. But one of our like big projects that we've been doing, especially that targets maternal mortality, has been Keep All Mothers Alive, which thanks to ACT Foundation, it's been Yay. sustained for like a prolonged time. Yeah. And like I said, we have many causes of, of death in mothers in pregnancy. So it could be from bleeding, it could be from infection. We have so many range. But the one we are focused on the most has been hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. Okay. And just like we know, hypertension is a silent killer. A lot of people have high blood pressure and they're not even aware of it. So that's mm. that. But again, this also came from the place of by the time most women that have these complications get to the hospital, sometimes it's too late to mm. save the baby. And sometimes it's too late to save both the baby and the mother. So and then you find out that most of these women, these diseases, you can kind of predict that they're likely to happen in certain groups of women. And you also find out that with some certain inve- intervention, you can prevent or at least help this woman to take the pregnancy to like a better age where the baby is likely to survive. And of course, you can also prevent maternal death from that. So we, we started this, in the last four years, we've been working with the Keep All Mothers Alive, which is to train multiple levels of healthcare providers. So as it were, a lot of Nigerian women still use traditional birth attendants, space-based. Mm-hmm. I know in an ideal world, everybody wants every woman to 
to give birth in the clinics, in the hospital. But we all know that our reality, a lot of women still don't go to the hospitals True. or to the clinics. So it's about meeting women where they are and also creating this chain of contacts between women that use hospitals and women that don't and even service providers. So over the years, we've, we've done that. We've trained a lot of traditional birth attendants. And what do we train, or fit base, what do we train them to do? To ask questions and to be able to identify women that are likely, they don't even have to have had the disease, to have this and send them to the hospital. So we do our trainings within hospital settings. So for sometimes you find out that those pregnant women wouldn't have come to the hospital. Hmm. But when we train the traditional birth attendants and they bring those women to the hospitals, we've already created that network. Hmm. Awesome. And then for every trained traditional birth attendants, we connect you to a health facility. So we hear things like we have tech to support them, our WhatsApp groups like, oh, this woman, we asked her five of the 10 questions and they were, yes, I'm sending her to the big hospital. That's what they call general hospitals. And so for us, that has really worked. They can now assess women and say, okay, and, and they feel very satisfied when they do send the women to the hospital. And they're like, oh, we feel good that when they went to the hospital, they were very grateful that we were able to do that. These were things they were not doing in the past. Yeah. They would just wait and uh, say whatever happens to the woman is just by chance. Hmm. We also do work on even skill acquisition for women. And that has been something we've done for low-income communities when we have um, funding towards that. Because we know that fund and health outcomes are very closely related. Poverty and poor health outcomes yeah. are closely related. So we also do training. We partner with vocational centers that can help us to uplift more women. We know that with more money that we may have, the more they are likely to um, do better in terms of their health indices. Hmm. So we've been doing um, that as part of um, our work on maternal mortality. And of course, we create awareness um, in different ways that we take advantage this is a podcast. We're doing that. Exactly. Newspaper articles. We, or sometimes we are on, on air talking about, we have these conversations in any space that they create for mm. I or my team member to just talk about how do we improve maternal health? How do we make sure that girls are fit, they're old enough before they get pregnant or sexually active? Hmm. Thank yes. you very much. You're doing a fantastic job. You know, I like your proactiveness, the fact that you are focused more on prevention than actually, you know, letting the the incidents happen and then uh, react to, to to such incidences. I also like the fact that you mentioned that you meet the mothers where they are because a lot of the time, um, access is an issue for them. Mm-hmm. So when do they get out yeah. of their homes mm-hmm. to actually go to use those health facilities? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it at the nick of time or is it just when Too it is late. appropriate yeah. for them for, for them to actually visit the health facility. I also mm-hmm. love what you're doing with traditional birth attendants because uh, whether we like it or not, they still exist in our communities. Yeah, they uh, there will always be some po- point of call for women who feel, feel that um, health workers in the public facilities are usually um, hostile or something. Mm-hmm. You know, we have such issues. And I'm glad how you also connect them with the facility so mm-hmm. you're not... They're not competing with each other. No, they're not. Yeah, so if something is beyond their, their tough, then they, they, can, then they can refer. Great. Yes. Okay, so I'd like you to share, you know, um, what impact is your project having on girls and women and maybe by extension their, their stakeholders, probably their peers mm. or maybe the parents of these girls. And if you could share one or two stories mm. in particular, it would be nice to know. It has been very uh, impactful and rewarding. Because one of the things we do is that for every health worker that we train traditional birth attendants, there's a follow-up process. Mm. So, you know, when we do, we don't just train them, we also equip them with job aids that they're able to use. Mm. So when we do our evaluations three, six months, even a year afterwards, to find out 
has this become like a culture? Has this become like a practice? Oh, yes, we now ask these questions routinely. We now check blood pressure routinely. We now, we now make sure that women check their urine for protein. When they give us all this sort of feedback, it's really satisfying. Or we now hear things like, oh, all the women that we saw this year, we didn't lose any of them. Hmm. Or we were able to refer 15 women, I mean, to the hospital. There was one that really stands out in Shomolu community that we did, where mm -hmm. the woman, just the very day we did the training, went back and checked all the blood pressure of all our, our clients and asked them the question. Then the other woman, oh, she's feeling dizzy. She's not been feeling the baby kick and all that. By the time they got to the hospital, like, so from there, she was able to accompany the woman to the general hospital. Mm -hmm. She was... In fact, she started having eclampsia right there in mm -hmm. the hospital. And she, was, and, and she was like, what were the odds that within a few hours of her doing that training, fortunately, the woman was able to have a cesarean session and the baby survived. So the woman was deeply satisfied that hmm. what she did in that nick of time really, really did change the outcome of that pregnancy. Like she said, if this was another time, they wouldn't have known. She would have left the hospital, gone home, it would be late in the night, and you know, the outcome couldn't have been that positive. And then for the young girls, it's been very exciting to see that girls that have gone through some of our training programs have gone ahead to go to the high institutions. They are very aware of sexual and reproductive health needs. They, some of them are even like the ambassadors talking to their friends about the complications and having these open conver conversations. Mm -hmm. And that has been really, really satisfying. So we, we do follow up on the outcomes of the women we reach directly and how much of what we're teaching these health workers are continued as practices. Mm. And for that, we think it's been very impactful. And as you know, the ratio of health worker to patients in Nigeria is really, really, really like huge. So mm. you find that for one nurse, because we also train doctors and nurses at primary health care center. Right. We train them because once these people from the community send patients to you, we have like a reminder course. What are the first steps you take before you send these cases to the tertiary institution because people still go to primary health care mm. first and if you look at the, what we have nurses like one to over 1,000 patients mm. doctors <laughs> over one to like maybe 3,000 patients so if you're able to train one nurse and one doctor you are going to in indirectly impact thousands of patients mm. so it's it's been rewarding for us to see that and of course they have the job aids that they use as well so they know what to do when these cases come from the communities to mm. them so you know sometimes we can't put like a cap on what we've done we've been very satisfied with the impact we've had on the immediately in the lives of the pregnant women that benefit from our interventions and also the continued practices that we've seen in those that we've been training as this is like normal culture for them mm. now to ask these questions and refer patients early. Mm. Mm. Yes. Mm. In fact, you're, you're sort of taking care of what I was going to ask you next. You know how you implement projects, you, you provide products and services, you know, for people. And once you are gone, maybe once your project has ended, uh, you find that you don't see the kind of results that you've been seeing in such communities. But from all that you've shared now, I can see that, um, the knowledge that nurse has stays with her for mm -hmm. life, you know, and then she can't undo it. So mm -hmm. she keeps providing the service, you know, as necessary and even for the trainings that you have done yeah. and, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. And I'm really, really, you know, proud, proud of that. Okay. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about collaboration and mm -hmm. partnership in this space. You know, we have uh, a situation where nonprofits find that they, they work in silos, they compete for the very limited funding mm -hmm. that they have available. And then you, it looks like they're competing against mm -hmm. each other. Um, what do you have to say uh, about this? What do you think about the need for partnership 
in the space so that we can together, you know, move move the health development of our people forward. Uh, so the first thing I will say is who we are as a as a people comes into how we run our businesses. So mm. we're in a bit of an individualistic um, system mm. where people get credit for what they do well. So, I mean, that also affects how we also run nonprofits. So you mm. kind of see that if you're nonprofit, like I'm very excited about this, the, the progress, the impacts we've made. Mm. But when I step back from what we've achieved as an organization and look at the maternal indices in the country, mm. is what we're doing like a drop in the ocean? So for me, I always say collaboration is the only way forward. Like if we're not collaborating, we're just going to keep dropping like (laughs) teardrops into the ocean. Mm. So I'm sure there are many organizations working on maternal health in the country. I'm sure that we're doing a lot together. But I've I've started thinking more than before that how can we collaborate to make this stronger? Now, the concept of collaboration for me also in the last one year has been deepened because when we look at collaboration, we look at people doing exactly what we're doing. Hmm. But I, I've learned to realize that collaboration sometimes is about finding people that are value aligned. It doesn't have to be mission aligned. Good. So who are the change makers around you? How can you collaborate to efficiently use your resources? So yes, everybody competes for funding, competes for 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 um, space to do stuff. But just taking it back to the sustainability that we just talked about, mm. it's tied to, to one another. So if I'm collaborating with someone all of us need venues. So I've started thinking about it. So we have to use venues. We have equipment that we rent. We have to provide food. We have to do all that. How about if I was going to train TBAs? There were three other organizations that wanted to do TBA training. Hmm. What if we all did it together? Shared one venue, prepared one food. And reach more so we will have more funds left to even be sustainable as, as an organization. Because I think mm. one of the challenges we've had with collaboration is closely tied to our son's sustainability. Because we, you always think about, I need this fund to be able to do my project. I also need this fund to be able to keep my team. I need this fund to be able to, you know, make my organization sustainable. But if we become more collaborative, we will be able to navigate some of these expenditures together. And then, of course, when I say value aligned, you're working with in a community where someone is addressing poverty. You're trying to make life better. I can also use that vehicle to bring maternal, maternal health conversation in there. And collaboration, yes, one. Second part of collaboration is we always look at collaboration from CBO, NGO to NGO. Hmm. Collaborating with private organizations is also yeah, very key. Right. Collaborating with government is also, government is also always the biggest influencer. How can what we do key into what? the government has like we use the primary health care centers which are government institutions is our own way of institutionalizing our interventions through collaborating with the state government Mm -hmm. or in some cases federal government Mm -hmm. so collaboration is key if we keep doing it on our own Mm -hmm. we will not be able to achieve we will not be able to scale up at this rate we want to scale up and our reach will also be not as far uh, uh, as it as it will go so Mm -hmm. i totally agree collaboration but there's also a distinct challenge between am i collaborating at the expense of an of sustaining my mm, own organization right, so right. this is now where the where where um, the challenge comes in but collaboration mm. is definitely a must for us okay, to progress okay yeah and i, I have taken that point really mm-hmm. really clearly thank you so much for for making that clear um so as we round up i, I was also going to ask you um 
Yes, we're here in Nigeria, and we know that the problems that we're faced with, it's a lot of them. Um, looking at our policy environments in Nigeria, for example, what is your take about uh, the public sector? Do you think that our governments are actually standing up to the challenges that we have? Do you think that they're doing enough? Uh, do you think there's something they could do differently? Or what is your take about this? Well, things can always be better. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we first start about start from the budget, most times the budget allocated to health is 4% or mm -hmm. 4 point something percent. Mm -hmm. That is not enough. If you calculate it in, in Naira, each citizen is entitled to about 3,000 Naira hmm. per year. That is oh, not even yeah. enough to get a very good antibiotic. <laughs> so yeah. you can already tell where we have challenges in the health sector. So when we say what else can, can we do or what else can the government, the government can do a whole lot. Hmm. Or we wish the government would do a whole lot. But we now have competing needs. We have insecurity. We have education. We have it almost feels like every sector, every sector's need is compelling. So what can the government do? When I think about it in my spare time, I think about it that government can first start by making investments in health mm. easy. If you want to provide fundings for those that are interested in investing in health sector, you want to give them tax um, reliefs or waivers. Yeah. You want to make sure that maybe funding available to health sector has lesser bottlenecks than other sectors. That is very, very uh, critical. Another thing is government has to be very intentional about retaining talent, medical talent in this country. Hmm. We are now talking about brain drain from doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, scientists, paramedics. Everybody knows that there's a better option in other parts of the world. Right. And nobody wants to live in poverty. So how, what is the government doing currently to retain medical talent hmm. in this country? That is also very important. Hmm. Another thing that I always also say is that the government also has to see that NGOs, private sector, they are also stakeholders in the health sector. True. So how are they listening to us on the ground? Are, we, are they writing policies from up there or from people that actually do interact with with patients that interact with communities, we should also they should be more intentional about bringing their voices into the policy space that has to do with mm. health. And I'm going to also chime in that it's not only government because we all have civic um, duties as yeah. citizens as well. So I also use the same to say, what about organizations? Organizations should also have policies that favor health. We have a lot of huge organizations, both local and international, that sponsor a lot of things, which we're very excited about. They sponsor entertainment, they sponsor TV shows. They can also sponsor health interventions. Mm, right. I mean, it's not as glamorous. It's not as picture perfect. It's not going to give you the brick and mortar that you see, but these are valid impact that can also be made. So I think um, organizations can also invest in health. They can also create policies to even make their staffs healthier as well. Like, I mean, from exercising to providing funding to support that, mental health, physical health, even from every cater of health worker, making mm. sure that they have insurance. We've talked about universal health coverage. Government has not been able to achieve it, but a lot of people work in private organizations. Mm. How, is, how are their companies trying to ensure that all their staff also have some sort of um, coverage. And then when I talk about government organizations, then I talk about individuals. So philanthropy is not for wealthy people only. Mm -hmm. We can right. all be philanthropic. Right. If you go into any hospital 
you will find people that are there that can't buy food. This was like, if you've seen anyone that's done residence in Nigeria or worked in the hospital sector, I've, we've lost count of the number of times we'd have to take money out of our pockets to mm. pay for a patient to be able to eat, to mm. even use their drugs. So there's time for their medication, but they've not had a meal, so they can't use their drugs. Some of them just need like one extra drip. So if you go into the hospital spaces or even health sector, you find that no, if, so long as you have an income, Something as small as 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 can actually make a huge difference. So if you want to talk about policy, we talk about government, organization, and even individual policy. What is your take? We all have, it almost feels like we can't meet all our needs, Mm. but we also have things that we do that at once. Once in a while, we can just say, okay, this month, I'm going to give my 5,000 to someone that needs it. You'll be surprised at how heavy and how huge the impact that is going to make. So... Those are my musing on policy. <laughs> I feel like we all have a part to play. It's not okay. We are government too. Yes, so we do. We can we do, do something. We do. And, mm. and I like how you've responded to that. Not just mm. leaving, you know, not just dumping the responsibility on the government. So we have the private sector and then mm. even we as individuals. We what exactly are we doing to ourselves? Mm. Okay, finally, uh, we know that ACT Foundation has been funding mm. Girls Aid mm-hmm. or partnering, so to say, with mm. Girls Aid for how long now? Four years now. Four years. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So how how has this partnership relationship been? Uh, how have you grown through mm-hmm. the years, you know, uh, partnering with ACT Foundation? Ah, uh, I want to take like a long time <laughs> to say all this. <laughs> so I will say that um, ACT Foundation has been an amazing partner with girls aid and i say this from a place of (laughs) knowing even now having a deeper understanding of what being a sustainable organization is prior to now i used to think like if you see an organization is sustainable we have funds to do project that's what it means but we had a lot of trainings with that foundation oh you guys can train (laughs) and (laughs) so you'll find out that when we talk about sustainability Mm. we are now talking about how sustainable are you as an organization? Mm. How can you retain talent as an organization? What is your capacity as an organization? What I found that over the last four years that we've been with Art Foundation is, apart from the funding, is that they've helped us to become a sustainable organization right. by sort of investing in trainings for different from finance to communications to storytelling to narrative. It has been exceptional. Then... One of the things we've talked about at other times has been that most funding being one-offs. For us, we've been with four years. Sometimes you realize that impact takes a while for you to measure them. So sometimes you do like a single event. It's great at the time, but how do you follow up over the years? Mm -hmm. So I feel like while sometimes people talk about broadening your scope, our partnership with Act Foundation has been broadening and deepening. So in most of the communities we work, we're like part of this community, and that's because we'll be able to go back there annually uh, and each time to say, okay, how do we follow up? How do we get a feedback from the community and take it back to ACT Foundation? And you've also been, ACT Foundation has also been very responsive in our partnership. So whatever you find on the field and you give a, you, you give a feedback to ACT Foundation, there's flexibility for you to make changes. One of the things that happened over the last four years was now we've started getting patients from these communities that the TBS tell us that, oh, this woman has really had bad outcomes in the last three years. So we're handing over this woman to you for care. Mm-hmm. And so we came up with something we call Belle to Baby, which is to help high-risk pregnant women from the beginning of the pregnancy throughout. And Act Foundation has also provided funding for us to be able to do that. So it's been a great relationship. We're looking up to more years together. Yes. And like when I tell people, I'm like, look, 
Our foundation doesn't fund. We're not like a one cycle funder. This is like a, <laughs> we're doing great work together. So they, mm. they always provide support. They are also flexible. They understand that life happens and there are nuances you find in the communities mm. and they are willing to move with you. And whenever you drop the ball, they are also willing to sort of help you pick it up because, of course, every relationship you have some challenges here and there. But yes. even whatever the challenge is, they are willing to say, okay, how do we solve this problem with and for you? Mm. So I'm grateful. We are all grateful at, at um, Girls Aid Initiative <laughs> to Act Foundation. Oh, yeah. And we are grateful to you as well. You know, courtesy partners like you, we have impacted over 2 million uh, people across Africa. Mm. And we're just five years old, you know. So we can do a lot more even, uh, you know, as, as we go on. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Abosede Lewu. It was really having nice me. having a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. And that is where we call it a wrap for today's show. Do... Uh, Stay tuned next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Act Pod. For inquiries and feedback, please reach us on actpod at actrustfoundation.org. Follow us on social media at actfoundation underscore on Instagram and Twitter and Aspire Coronation Trust Foundation on Facebook. The show is proudly powered by Aspire Coronation Trust Foundation. ActPod, our story, our continent.